Thank you, Lord. That was great. I said it was a myth. <laughs> so, you know, one of the uh, things that I've learned about, I've been preaching a long time now. I can't believe it. Of course, I'm not really young no more. So, uh, relatively speaking, right? Well, in, in view of eternity. But one of the keys for preaching is uh, the people. You know, you, you know, the people that you're speaking before is they determine whether the whether the word of the Lord is going to get released or not. You know, because Jesus said that uh, in the parable of the sowers. You can throw seed out there, but sometimes it doesn't take. And But if it's taken, you can tell it. You really can. I mean, I can. And uh, I think Marlon last week gave a great message. How many people thought that, right? Yeah. yeah. And I could tell people really were receptive to what he was saying, and it made a difference. Because uh, he could have gone somewhere and preached that same message, and and it was you know if it wasn't penetrating people's hearts, there wouldn't have been the divine exchange that was happening. So I'm telling you that, so you can help me, <laughs> just to be truthful. <laughs> but one thing I always pray when I'm gonna, when I'm going to speak, I really pray for the people I'm speaking to, not just praying, Lord, have mercy on me, right? So whenever I hear about a preacher that didn't do good, that normally does good, I always blame it on the congregation. That's why it was their fault. They didn't want to hear you. Anyways, um, what I want to do is, you know, the, how many people here have read the book of Ruth? That is one of my absolute favorite books in the Bible. This is what I used to do with it years ago. When I struggled reading the Bible, anybody struggle reading the Bible? Raise your hand. Just tell the truth. Shame the devil. Yeah. Well, when I would go through times where the Bible was not, I wasn't interested in reading. You know what I'm saying? You know. You know. Sometimes you can read something and you read down the page, and then you think, "What did I just read?" You're sort of going through that, going through your little checklist. I read the Bible today. If I catch myself doing that craziness, I go and read certain books in the Bible, which always ignite this thing in me. Uh, and Ruth is one of those books. It's only four chapters. But that book is loaded with, with revelation, I believe. Um, and so I feel, I've been feeling for a few months, uh, every morning I'm seeing Ruth out there in the barley fields. And I really feel the Lord was really speaking to me a lot of, about that. And I think it's a really a timely book for us right now. And so, one, I'm going to just sort of give you an introduction to it this morning. But I really would encourage you to go read the book. Like I say, it's only four chapters. It's interesting. You know what I'm saying? It's an interesting book. When you read it, you, it, gives, it grabs your attention. It's, it's fascinating, and it's one of the most beautiful pictures in the Bible. Of course, the name is an awesome name. Uh, actually, my mom's name was Ruth, and my sister's middle name is Ruth. So I have that kind of, when I first became a Christian, I would notice that, hey, that's my mama's name. She's in the Bible. So isn't it great to have a good mama? It's great to have a mama. So I'm going to uh, read uh, the first five verses, and then I'm going to talk about some things, okay? 
it came to pass in the days when judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. He had an ugly name. She had a pretty name. And the names of his two sons, they really went down the hill then. Mahalon and Chilion, I guess that's how you spell Ephraites of Bethlehem. That Ephraites just is another name for, you know, the tribe they came from. Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, not Oprah. It sort of looks like Oprah, but it's Orpah. And the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both the boys also died. So the women were survived by survived her two sons and her husband. So I just wanted to give you first, these are some thoughts that I have about this book. One, I think it's a really prophetic book, okay? I think it's, there's lots of types and shadows in this book that really speak to uh, different uh, things going on in the earth. Like, for instance, I, I really see, this is what I really have seen in it lately, is Naomi is a type of Israel, and Ruth is a type of the church. And Ruth restored Naomi, Israel, to Boaz, the king. And I believe that's the church's greatest calling in this earth, that we will help the nation of Israel find Christ. If, if you went to China, you would find uh, many Chinese Christians, their dream is to preach the gospel all the way through the Mideast to Jerusalem. And a lot of them are already in the Mideast. I'm, we know several of them. They're in Pakistan, Afghanistan. You know, they're Chinese. They can go. And, you know, they don't get killed right away. But So that's their dream is to wind up, in, you know, bringing the gospel right down into the heart of Jerusalem. That's, that's, a, that's an awesome dream, isn't it? That's just one thing. And I've never really seen that before, and I don't know if that's something people who know about this kind of thing believe, but it sure seems to me. I think it's also a book for our times, because uh, you, when you begin to look at the book, much of what the drama around the book unfolds during uh, the harvest, okay, during the barley harvest. And so I believe that we are going to enter into a, a great harvest in the earth. I'm, of course, we've been hearing that for years. But Jesus said that in John 4.35. He said that there's a harvest waiting right now. And I believe the time's going to come when we're going to see that harvest. See, we're not seeing that harvest. But when we begin to see that harvest, something's going to change in the heart of the church, I believe. And we're going to become harvesters of the great harvest of the Lord. And it is going to be one of the greatest times in history. And I want to encourage you about that because... Uh, there's a harvest right around you right now. There, there are people in our community that are hungry. And I'm talking about hungry for f physical food. They don't have food. There are people who do not have food. I have met this week several people that had no food in their house. And unfortunately, it was women who were abandoned 
by their husbands for some reasons and left with children with no food. And it's, it's a tragedy, uh, but they're there. And God wants us to see those people. He really does. See, God's heart is big. And it's really wants to, He not only wants to feed people spiritually, He wants to meet their felt needs. And so I believe there's a harvest coming and, we're, and God's going to use, use the body of Christ in an amazing way in the earth. I really believe that. And so that's, I believe this book will speak to us. Of course, it's a, it's a very redemptive book because uh, Boaz in the book is a type of Christ. That's, that's what he represents. He, re- he represents Jesus Christ who owns the richest man in town, owns all the fields and, and is able to redeem everything that Naomi lost and, and give her a, a joy in her old age you know, and, and satisfy her, her old age. And that's what the Lord wants to do for, for all of us in our old age and young age. It's also a book of contrast. It contrasts two people in here. It contrasts a man who took his life, took his family, into his own hands and forsook who he really was and began to make decisions and it cost him everything. It contrasts that with a woman, a young woman who, who had nothing, who did not deserve anything, was excluded, but she had a heart for the Lord. She had a heart for God. And she gave herself totally to God and honored God and honored the people of God. And God highly blessed this woman, this Ruth. So there's a contrast there that God wants to, to show us. It's a book about identity. This is one of the most, you know, in the Bible spread throughout, God sometimes brings up this identity issue. He doesn't call it identity, you know, like we do. We talk about being, being authentic and our true identity and all that. Those are modern words in the Bible it's more like God changing a man's name. Your, your name was Abram, now it's Abraham. You see, God's speaking to identity. Uh, that's a powerful picture of, of identity. Uh, there's another powerful picture in the Bible. is when Rachel, who was Jacob's husband, was giving birth to her son and she was dying. And she gave him a name. And I think the name meant something like son of my sorrow or something like that. But her daddy would have nothing to do with that name. He called him Benjamin, son of my right hand. And see, he knew, because see, in the Hebrew culture, a person's name meant who they were. And he was not going to curse his son with a name that meant something bad. You know, he, he blessed him with a name that that son could live up to. And so, in the book of Ruth, it's fascinating. I can, I'll tell you the names of the key players, and you can... You can pretty much understand the whole book just by understanding their names. You can sort of get a, just by that one thing can really, once you read it, you'll see it like, oh, this makes clear sense. Just through the name. So it really is a powerful book of identity and what, what, how God feels about identity. And it's also a book about the favor of God, of, of how God wants to release favor to His people. See, I, I'm really convinced that we are people who don't tap into the favor of God like like it's available to us because that was one of the key things that Naomi said when they were back in Bethlehem uh, starving to death 
and had nothing. I can imagine family were trying to help them, giving them food, trying to keep them alive, but they had to do something because they couldn't live off of other people forever. They knew there was a time coming where they were going to have to figure out how to make it. And Ruth said, I'm going to go and I'm going to find a field in a man's eyes who I'm going to have favor. And she walked right into the richest man's field. And not only did she get food for that moment, actually for several moments, for about, a, I think, about three months' supply in the first day, she got the fields eventually. And not only needed some, not only to feed herself, but she became a person who fed others. Isn't that an amazing, beautiful picture of how the, how the cross is and what God wants to do? And so this book is about that. And I think the book is also very about the kingdom. And I did want to read this, Ephesians 3.20, and just say this about the kingdom of God in this book. It says, this is a, a verse we all should really tap into more and more. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, I love these words that Paul, he was pushing it hard here, trying to find words to describe something that's not describable. Exceedingly abundantly. I mean, that is about as, as much as you get above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Isn't that a powerful scripture? And see, God wants the reality of that scripture to come true in our lives. Exceedingly abundantly above. Whatever we're asking or thinking, God's saying, you're not asking for enough. And I really believe that. You see, but we don't, we're not living in the revelation of that. We're not living in a place where we're saying, where our hearts really believe that to the point that it's, a, it's becoming a reality. That no matter what you ask for, God's saying, that's not enough. There's no limits in God. And God is looking for people who can begin to tap into His limitless, His limitless love, His limitless favor. And I know we're, many, most of us are sitting here, well, that's not my circumstance, that's not my life. But we're not talking about our circumstances or life. We're talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about the Father, the huge heart of the Father. So I think that's really, you know, uh, in the uh, New Testament, the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. You know, one of the, the, more, the most literal translation of that is, give me the bread without end. Give me the bread without end. In other words, Jesus was saying, there's something you can tap into that there's no end to it. There's no, it's, it's an ongoing flow of something, of resources, of, of things that you need to live your life and th- so, to the point where you're not just living full, you're living in overflow where you have enough for everybody around you. And that's really the Father's heart. That really is His heart for us. It's, some days we don't feel that way when we are hoping we have enough money to make it to the end of the month. You know, like, well, this is, this is abundance, Lord. But, and it's also a book about faithfulness, Patience, honor, and love. Faithfulness, patience, honor, and love. Because Ruth was a very faithful person. And she was a very honoring person and a very loving person. And she was a very patient person. You know, she was not the kind of... And, you know, I've come up with this new definition. I don't know what the real definition of faithfulness is. But I believe uh, a good definition is faith and patience equals faithfulness. The Bible says in the Hebrews, it's through faith and patience we inherit the promises. And God's really looking for a people who are willing to wait on Him. You know, He really is. A people who are willing to wait on Him and let Him bring forth the promises in your life. 
And impatience in the kingdom will get you nowhere. It will just get you into a frustrated mess. One of the things that can really help you is uh, on a practical level on being patient is waiting on the Lord in prayer and waiting to hear the burden of the Lord when you pray instead of just praying what you pray. You know what I'm talking about? And you know what? God knows your circumstance. If you're a guy and you ain't, you know, like, I got 10 minutes. <laughs> I got 10 minutes, God. God knows you got 10 minutes. You know what I'm saying? And He'll meet you where you're at. But when we go, sometimes I know I'm bad for this. We jump in there. We gotta, we're going to pray. We've got these things. I don't know about you. I'll start that up and it's like, God's not here. It's, wait a minute. I'm just going to steal myself and wait before the Lord and wait to what has wind on it. And God will begin to release prayers in your life for you, for your family, for your situation, for your circumstances. He'll begin to release a prayer and you will feel life on that prayer. You will feel the wind of God on what you're praying. You know, and that's being patient. That's waiting on the Lord. And I really encourage you to really begin to cultivate that kind of, you know, prayer with God instead of just, um, well, I'm going to do my morning devotions and, or whenever you do it, and I'm going to read the Word and I'm going to pray these prayers. And i got prayers I love to pray. But I'm very careful about jumping on those prayers. You know, God wants us to be careful in His, His presence. He wants us to give Him a chance to interact with us, to, com- to communicate to our hearts. And when we begin to do that, we can begin to effectively pray. And we can begin to catch the things that are important to God in our lives at that moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I encourage you, you know, you know, to do that. So, all righty, the Lord's good, isn't He? Okay, so I want to read verse 1 again and, and just tell you a couple of things about that. Because it really, verse 1 just reveals a lot here. It says, it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. Everybody say, judges ruled. ruled. That there was a famine in the land. Okay, now, first of all, I want to make this point to everybody in this room, is when the rightful king is ruling, there's not going to be a famine. A lot of Christians are suffering in their life, I believe, because they are not allowing Christ to be the Lord of their lives. And that was what was going on in Israel as a nation in those days. Okay? It says it was in the days that judges ruled. It didn't say that it was, it was in the day when the Lord ruled or the Lord's appointed person ruled. It was when the judges ruled. And if you go and read the book of Judges, you're going to find out some bad things. Judges, put that Judges 21, 25 up. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And see, I think that's one of the things that Christians need to face. That we need to really come to some grips in our life because we are in a culture, uh, as, as Americans we're very independent people, and I think that's a gift from the Lord. I mean... It's meant to serve us to be independent. We're independent. We're strong in that way. That's why we're a nation. Right? Because we did not want to be ruled by something that was wrong. We wanted to be free. Okay? But we've taken our freedom and we've twisted it to a point where where 
we're doing what's right in our own eyes. And we, it's, it's in our government, it's in our society, and it's, it's consuming the church. It's consuming Christians' lives. We have a doctrine and theology that's based on what we want. Instead, it's not really based on what the Scriptures really teach. And what that creates in us, in our hearts, it creates famine. It creates a, a lack in our lives. Okay? It says this in Amos 8.11. This is really powerful. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of, listen, not, not, not a famine for the Word of God, but of hearing the Word of God. Hearing the Word of the Lord. Did you get that? It's not God sending a famine where there's no preaching of the Word, there's no revelation of the Word. He creates a famine in people's hearts where they can't hear God. Are y'all following that? So that's what happens to us many times is, is because, because we don't have the King, He's not in charge of our lives. And we're doing what's right in our own eyes. And we're picking and choosing. You know, the, the, God is not like a, a, a... You know, what do you call those things when you go somewhere and eat a bunch of... have all these different foods you pick? A buffet. He's not like a buffet to us. You know, He's like, okay, this is what we're eating today. Well, Lord, I don't like that, but this is what we're eating today. You know what I'm saying? This is what I want you to have, because I know what you need. But we've, we've allowed, and so we, we lose this ability to hear the heart of the Lord. That's what the famine, that's just the famine that has hit people's hearts, is they're not hearing the Lord, and they're wondering why. And he's saying, this is why. When there's no rightful king, when the king is not ruling in your life, you're not going to be able to hear the word of the Lord. Does that make sense? And so what this man did, Elimelech, what he did, oh, I wanted to tell you this about the period when the judges ruled. Israel was marked by immorality, idolatry, and war. That was what was going on in that nation. Immorality, idolatry, and war. Do you know any other cultures that that's what their society is getting known for? Immorality, idolatry, and war. And it's because we don't have the king. The king's not in charge. So there's immorality, idolatry, and war running rampant in, in the nation and in our lives. The answer is, is the Lord. The Lord's good. So this man took his family and left Bethlehem, it says. Okay? Verse 2. Right? And so he took, took him, himself, and his two sons and left Bethlehem. And, of course, we know Bethlehem, the future of Bethlehem was what? David, the king, would be born there. And who else was born in Bethlehem? Jesus. So, now, let's set the stage here. This was the destiny of this place. And so, because there was a famine, this man took his life into his own hands, took his family's life into his own hands, and left and went to this place called Moab. Okay, you know what Moab is, don't you? 
This is where Moab came from. Y'all remember uh, Abraham's nephew, Lot? You know, once, you know, Lot escaped Sodom and Gomorrah, right? But his wife made a mistake. They said, don't look back. And she did, and she turned into a pillow of salt. So he didn't have a wife anymore. Okay? You know what happened? His two, he had two girls, two daughters. They got him drunk and slept with him. The oldest daughter slept with her daddy and had a son named Moab. Okay? And the youngest daughter did the same thing. Now, he didn't even know what happened. They said he was so loaded. You know, he didn't know, you know, sometimes you can get so drunk. Some of y'all know this. I hope you don't know it anymore, but that you don't even have a memory of what you did. That's a bad day. Like, what did I do last night? I had that a few times. Like, mm, I don't want that. Probably did something bad. But this, and so there was this man named Moab that was born out of this incestuous relationship. And these people were known for sexual perversion. That's what they were known for. And they were sometimes friends of Israel. But most of the times they were enemies of Israel. So get the picture. This man left Bethlehem and went to Moab. It, I mean, when you, when you think about looking at it like this, it's like, what was he thinking? What was he thinking? Because everybody didn't migrate over to Moab. He did. Why did he do it? Because it was a famine. One I read, I think it was Charles Spurgeon said, uh, let me read Charles Spurgeon quote. He said, they left Moab, left Bethlehem looking for bread, but found graves. And I'm just going to say this. This is what's wrong with a lot of Christians. You, you do what's right in your own eyes. Thinking you're going to find what, you're, what you need, what you want. Things are going to be fulfilled in your life. And you're trying to get something you should not be getting. You go to this place to get it, thinking you're going to get it. You're going to find death is what you're going to find. You hear what I'm saying to you? That's not a hard word. That's just a true word. When we take our lives into our hands, it's going to cost us. And it's not going to be what we thought. It's going to be something we don't want. Uh, Proverbs says, Proverbs fourteen twelve says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Its end is the way of death. And that's what this man's, it seemed right because obviously they had some food there probably. I'm going to go feed my family. But it wasn't right. And some of you are making decisions right now that seems right, but in the end it's not going to be good for you. It's going to hurt you. And I want to encourage you today, don't do it. If you're in a situation where you've made that decision, get out of it. Just get out of it. God will help you. He's there for you. He loves you. You got being awful quiet. <laughs> so, um, let me tell you some... I want to talk about Elimelech a minute. You know what his name meant? His name meant, my God is king. Now, my God is king. See, there's a guy who lost his identity. There's a guy whose parents blessed him with an awesome name. Okay? But he didn't live up to who he really was. Do y'all see that? My God is king left on his own, took things into his own hand. And it really destroyed his family. My God is king. 
really wasn't king. See, in the Hebrew culture, what they named you, like I said, they really named you as a blessing and so that you, you could be that, what they named you. You see, it was like the parents were looking at their children and prophetically naming them. And he was prophetically named as a person who would live under the lordship of God. But he didn't. He didn't live up to who he really was. And that's what happens with a lot of blessed. What I was, what Becky was sharing about this thing, passionate, laid down uh, lovers and worshipers, is we forgot that's who we really are. We forgot our real, our real destiny, our real, our real identity. And that's what Elimelech did. And that's why it cost him so much. And you know, and that's why God wants to tell the church who we are. And really, only God the Father can tell you who you are. You know, the church has no right to tell you who you are. I'm just telling you that now. The church has no right to do that. It is not the church's place to do it. It's the Father. It's the church's place to help you find that and encourage you in that and speak to you in that. But at the end of the day, only the Father can tell you who you really are. You see, as a parent, I named my children and somebody else didn't name them. I wasn't going to let somebody else, some joker, name my kids. Like, seriously? You wouldn't do that. And see, the Father has a name, has an identity for you. All right, here's the name of Naomi. It means pleasant, delightful, lovely. Isn't that a great name? Pleasant, delightful. But I want to ask you a question about Naomi. Here's what I thought about Naomi. Everybody loves Naomi. But I've wondered about Naomi. Why did she let her husband do that? Why did she go along with the plan? Why didn't she do like Becky had done? Well, if you're going, you're going on along. You're going by yourself. We ain't going. We'd rather stay here and starve to death and go to Moab, a bunch of perverts over there. That's what she'd have done. You can say what you want. Say, I'm not going. You see, somehow she was. She had some blame in this thing. I believe. Was he such an overbearing and mean, demanding husband? You know, maybe she should have run to her family. Like, he's mean, he's overbearing, he wants to drag us off into that place, and I don't want to go. So I think we really have to think about this, you know. And I think, really, uh, one thing I would like to say to all the uh, husbands in the room is one of the biggest reasons for divorce in America, I forget the percentage, is men will not share power with their wives. 86% 86% end in divorce in a marriage where a man will not share power with his wife. In other words, men go out and make big decisions. They go do this, they go do that, and they don't even think about their wife who is going to have to suffer through it. And no woman should be subject to that kind of foolishness. Now, I'm just going to tell you that. Now, that is not what the Bible's talking about when it talks about submission. That's a lie from hell. That's daggone craziness. That's abuse. That's abuse is what that is. And women should not be abused by men like that. Men should share the power. They should share the decision-making. They should have their wives' agreement on big things. Now, if you want to go out and buy a golf club, don't tell her. (laughs) Just buy it, you know, then she can find out later and fuss and carry on. But you can say, well, you know. Here's how you do it. Here's the secret. Just tell her you can have whatever you want. Just go buy all you want. I don't care, but if I need me to buy me a golf club, I'm going to do one. (laughs) Right. <laughs> so, anyways, I just sort of wanted to throw that in about Naomi. Here's the name of his the first child's name, Mahalon. I guess that's how you say it. it means weak, sickly. 
So can you imagine a daddy and a mama naming a child like that? That was, and again, they knew, they had to know, they had, they were, they were Hebrews. They knew names were important. And so maybe the child was birthed and maybe the child was sick and they just decide that's who you are. You're going to leave weak and sickly all the days of your life. The next one was Chilion. His name means failing and pining. Say, so come on in here weak and sickly and where's your brother failing and pining at? Oh, he's over there pining away in the corner because he didn't get his way. You know? So something was really wrong with that. Yeah, very dysfunctional. So it was a dysfunctional family, I think. And I don't blame it all on the husband. I blame the wife also. They were in this thing together. They named these children. They gave them a bad identity. And they made bad choices and bad decisions. You know, and it affected the family. And it about destroyed all of them. It did destroy three of them. And so these two boys, they go out and they find these women. They name they one of them Orpah, which means back of the neck. I don't know about backs of the neck. That's kind of an odd name. But these were Orpah was a Moab name, not a Hebrew name. Ruth is a Hebrew name, even though she was a Moabitess. Her name means friend, friendship, comfort, and refreshment. And that girl lived up to her name. She lived up to being a friend, and she lived up to be a comforter. And she lived up to be a refresher. She was really like a type of the Holy Spirit. And the man uh, who was ultimately Ruth, that ultimately Ruth married, if you read all the way to the end of the story, his name was Boaz. It means strength is within him. And that good strength is within him. That's why he's a type of Christ, because he has the strength. And so you see from these names, you can kind of get a picture of what was going on. They went out and left the house of bread, the house of praise, into a place of perversion, looking for bread, looking for what they needed, and they found graves. And so the women were left. There were three women left. There was Naomi. She was alive. God preserved her. There was Ruth and Orpah that married the two boys. And Naomi said, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go back. What else have I got to do? I mean, she was at that point was a very broken person, very bitter person. In fact, when she got home, they said, oh, this is Naomi. And she said, don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me bitter. Call me Mara because I'm bitter. I went out full and I came back in. And I'm just telling you, that's what happens to a lot of Christians. We, could, we, could have, we can be full of what God has for us but lose it all. You know, if we take our lives into our hands. But we don't have to. God wants to keep you even in the worst of situations. He wants to bless you in the worst of situations. So she went out and she, of course, the girls were going to go back with her. Orpah and Ruth. And Naomi said, don't come back. I mean, I can't help you. I've done my part in your life. They were married for 10 years to these boys. These boys made it for 10 years before they died. And she said, even if I found me another man and got pregnant, it would be a long time before I could give you another man. So I don't have anything for you. Go home to your people. That's what she told them. Just go home. I can't do nothing for you. I'm empty. I don't have nothing. And 
Orpah wept. She wept because she loved her. She wept, but she went back home. And Ruth, Ruth said, I'm not going to leave you. You know, and I think it's in a couple of times, if you read the story, a couple of times they stopped and wept. You know, when Orpah, you know, Orpah went back and Ruth and Naomi went the other way. And I think, you know, in all of our lives, we're going to find there's going to be times of, of departing with people. And, and there's, when it's not like a falling out, it's just you came to a crossroads in life and God said, your way is right. And he told them their way was left. And it's a time of weeping when that happens. And that's going to happen in your life. I can tell you that. It's going to happen in all of our lives if we're around. And I heard T.D. Jakes one time say, everybody needs the gift of goodbye. And that's what, what Naomi had. She had the gift of goodbye. We all need that gift. There's going to be times in our life when we had to let people go from our lives and kiss them goodbye. That's what they did. They kissed, they wept, and they left. And that was the end of Orpah. That was the end of her story. In, the, in this story, she was no longer, you know, part of the story. But I wanted to read what Naomi said to Ruth. And you, if you've been to any weddings, you'll remember this one. After, Nea, after uh, Orpah was gone. Look, your sister-in-law has gone. This is verse 15. Back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. Isn't that powerful? For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. This is powerful. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Isn't that powerful? That's one of the most beautiful. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death parts you and me. Anything but death. And God put that in the heart of men and women in our country towards each other in marriage. That anything but anything but death part us. Let death be the thing that parts us. Not all this other stuff. You know, Paul said, I'm going to stop. Are y'all okay? Y'all sort of looking at me with that. Paul said there's, in the last days there were going to be perilous times. He said it in Timothy. I think it was Timothy. He perilous how men would be lovers of themselves and list of things. And one of the things he listed literally means men would be traitors. They would not stick with their covenants. They would not stick out relationships. He said that's what's going to happen in the last days. It's, and you see that in the marriages. As people are traitors, they tr- betray each other. That's treachery. They betray their marriage. They betray people they love over nothing. It's, it doesn't suit me. I don't like it. I'm out. You know, you've heard the old joke about churches dividing over the color of the carpet. Well, it's that, it's that same spirit. It has infiltrated our society. 
where everybody's living for themselves. And, you know, that's really not the heart of the Lord. Y'all okay? Y'all sort of look at me all serious. And, you know, God wants to free us from this, and God wants to give us a heart like Ruth, who was full of honor, who was full of patience, who was full of love. You know, that, that's, that was her heart. That's, that's what a heart of Ruth, full of friendship, full of comfort, full of refreshment towards other people. That's, that's really what he wants to do for us, all of us. And so, anyways, I'm going to stop. And I'm going to pray. How many people in here are married this morning? Raise your hand. Keep your hand up. Stand up if you're married. If you ha- your spouse is with you, it's great. So I'm going to pray for your, for your marriage. You know, marriages need help. Honestly, my marriage needs help. I'm not going to sit up here and say I'm the best husband in the world and I've done everything right. I'm not going to say that. You know, and I'm not going to say Becky... <laughs> I'm going to say Becky's a really an awesome wife. <laughs> but I can tell you this, don't cross her. Because she can't get... She comes out the corner swinging. <laughs> you know, like I told her the other night, dang on, it's like I, like I went three miles over to the speed limit, and now I'm being arrested for it. That's what it felt. I'm being punished severely over a minor infraction. But she says, you've been going over the speed limit too long lately on me. <laughs> but God really does want to touch marriages. He really does. I think divorce is a curse on our land. I really do. And, and God hates divorce. You know why He hates it? It's because of all the hurt that it brings to the people who are in the divorce and the children and the friendships and the families, all that. It's just so hurtful, and that's why God hates it. He don't hate the divorcee. He loves the divorcee. He wants to restore the divorcees. So don't feel like you're under condemnation today if you're divorced because you are not. You, God loves you, and God wants to fix your life. You know, and if you're in the middle of getting a divorce, listen, sometimes there's things out of your control. Honestly, you don't have to be under anything. I'm not putting, I don't want to put anything. I want to free you, you know, for Christ to work in your life. So, Father, we, we ask you this morning for our marriages. And we pray that for every person standing in this room and the ones who are not standing, if Maybe they'll have a, a spouse one day. We just pray, Lord. We are saying, help us, Lord. Help us to live with our spouse in a way that's like Ruth had that heart. To honor, to love, to refresh the soul of their spouse, Lord. And to be a true friend, Lord. And that we wouldn't forsake each other. And Lord, we just want to break off that treacherous spirit that has come upon the people of God that we betray sacred relationships we would betray covenants Lord we just ask you to help us Lord we're, we're, we call out to you today Father that you're a good Lord you're a good God you love us Lord you've given us a person like Ruth to reveal what your nature is how you think Lord, and what you want to do, Lord. And Lord, I pray that nature of Christ would be in us in a greater way. It would, it would, you would come, Holy Spirit, and rule our hearts and govern our souls and, 
And Lord, you would help us be healed from the hurts and the wounds and things that have caused us to get messed up and have anger and have things in us that where we lash out against others. I pray you would heal us of that. Heal us, Lord. Heal the brokenhearted this morning, Lord. Heal people who've been through divorce and hurt by it, Lord. Families, all the things, Lord, we ask you in Jesus' name. We just thank you, Lord. Well, we speak a blessing over marriages today. We say, Lord, bless the marriages. Lord, we ask for a blessing. We ask for that blessing like Ruth. that We would be like that with our spouse. That We were saying, I'll never leave you. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. I'll be buried where you're buried. I'll be with you to death. Only death will separate us. Lord, just, we just ask you to release that anointing today on these couples, Lord, in this room, Lord, and even these children, young people who one day will be married, Lord. We ask you, Lord, to do that, Lord. And we ask you to remove hindrances today. And, Lord, cause uh, couples to have a re- renewal of their love for one another, Lord. Lord, we're asking always for passion for you and you'd renew our love for you, Lord. But we ask you to do that today between husband and wife in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you today. And Lord, I just want to bless. I want to speak a blessing. I want to release a blessing. The Father's blessing upon marriages. Every marriage in this room. Father, you would touch it. You would take personal, and I know you do, take personal interest in the name of Jesus. And that you would heal homes, Lord. You would heal children, Lord. And you'd make our homes and our marriages healthy places. Healthy places. Safe places, Lord. Places where people could come and find renewal and refreshment and friendship, Lord. We ask you, Father, in the name of Jesus to do that. And thank you for that today. I just had one prayer I wanted to pray. I felt like the Lord particularly wanted... There's a term in counseling called parallel marriages. That means where the couple are no longer together. They're living separate. They're still married, but they're on parallel tracks. And that's really not the healthiest of marriages. And I felt like this morning, the Lord, I saw a paint stir. You know how paint will separate when it's been sitting for a while. And I saw the Lord take a paint stick and start stirring and remixing. So I feel like the Lord wants, if that's you this morning... First of all, we have to be truthful with the Lord where we are. Because it's, you know, in order to get grace, we have to be living truth. So, Lord, we say this morning for marriages in the room, Lord, we, if that's you, we just say, Lord, that's me. And I ask you to put your hand to our marriage, Lord, and just take that stir and stir us back together, Lord, where we become one again, the way you've created us, Lord. So we just, I ask for release. Lord, this morning, your mighty hand, Lord, take in your heavenly paint stick, Lord, and stir in hearts back together, Lord. Stir in the colors back together, Lord, the beautiful colors of relationship will become one again, Lord, and just taken off this parallel track, Lord, tracks where they're not, no longer one, Lord, we just ask you to renew What's been separated, Lord, that you now put it back together. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Amen. So we're just going to release the, get the ministry team up. If they would come on up and, um, 
If you need prayer this morning, if the Lord's really touched your heart about your marriage and you need prayer, just come on up and let the ministry team agree with you. And uh, we, any, we want to pray for the sick always. The Lord is here and present always to heal. We want to pray for the sick. And um, anything else you feel like you need help with this morning, you're just heavy or burdened, let someone pray for you. That's, they're here for you this morning. And um, we love you. The Lord loves you. Go in peace. Thank you, Lord.